Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Ostel. People, their first response is, oh, that's cool, you're putting a battery pack in a trailer. And I'm saying, no, 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 we're actually driving the trailer. The trailer is driving itself and it's looking at the kingpin for intelligence. That's it. Very simple. And then it's like that second order, like, oh, I never thought about that before. Why hasn't anybody thought about this before? And really, I think it's just this combination of we're here now in the hardware space where I have accessible the hardware set that allows me to have that level of control, safety, torque security, signal integrity, and so on. All right, Ali, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So to get folks up to speed, why don't we just dive right in and give people like 60 to 90 seconds on what range energy is all about? Yeah. So range energy is kind of a culmination of several ideas I've had over the last 15 or so years in the electrification space. These trailers are always something that were on our mind as something that we'll see in the future, but not quite there yet. I started my career early at Tesla back in 2008. In fact, this was something that we talked about back then as well. Got it. And so that idea kind of kept coming back and forth. And I was focused on shipping at that time. We were shipping the cars and then moved over to Google and started working on a bunch of other stuff. And a few years ago, this idea of electrified trailers came back up when I was visiting some friends over at Proterra and looking at the industrial electrification, especially in this kind of like larger class six, seven, eight space Mm. and looking at the hardware that was being developed there and thinking to myself that this can really port over to the industrial trailer space quite and what would be a compelling product or a compelling solution to leverage. And so that was an idea we kind of bounced around between Tyler over at R7 and I, we kind of bounced that idea around a few times. And finally, a year and a half ago, the same person that we were talking to, a late friend of ours, Ryan Popple, pushed me into uh, starting this venture last summer. The mission here is that we want to make towing safer, cleaner, and more efficient. Uh, We believe that Trailers have been completely kind of forgotten about from the technological innovation space, with the exception of some things like ABS or centralized inflation for tires. Mm. Really, there hasn't been any innovation in that space kind of since the beginning of the industry. Interesting. And so, you know, one of the things that I saw over the last several years was all of the effort and energy and batteries, frankly, being shoved into the power units. And I'm thinking to myself, we have all this volume, you have the capacity And frankly, the system, if you think about it in very first principles kind of thinking, the system is more efficient if we have both the trailer and the tractor or the power unit pushing together. Now, it's easier said than done. The technology is quite challenging to do. (laughs) But over the last year, we've been able to prove this hypothesis out. And we have a couple of prototypes on the ground collecting miles right now that show that we've been able to develop this platform where hook up and go over 40% better fuel economy on a, for example, a diesel towing a loaded trailer. Wow. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was a, a, you know, an F-250 pulling a race trailer all the way up to a Peterbilt pulling a class eight trailer that's fully loaded to, let's say, 40,000 pounds. What we're doing is developing an architecture where the trailer intelligently does all of its own work. And we do it without a data connection, which was one of the biggest challenges for us was how can we do this and still make sure that this technology not only works on the electric future that we're all kind of anticipating and maybe hoping for, but how can we make it work today so that we can tiptoe into that electric future gracefully rather than kind of forcing it down everybody's throats? 
And so we developed this platform specifically to slot into today's operations with minimal changes to those operations. And then we also wanted this platform to help enable things like long haul electric trucking far into the future. Mm. And so we think we've developed this platform to address all of those markets. And we're leveraging the deep electrification, vehicle controls, and platform development expertise that this team has to bring this kind of new product to market and make a big step change in efficiency and safety for the trailer industry. Yeah, super compelling. There's a lot in there that I'm excited to come back to. But even at a high level, I think always, you know, in zooming out, I think it is quite interesting. There's so much attention paid to things like the engine for transportation or fuel source for something like decarbonizing yeah. shipping over water. But yeah, there's you know so many other components of how things are moved and how things get around that one could potentially look at and be like, is there an opportunity for, as you said, like a stepwise improvement in that? And something else you said was really interesting to me too. I was going to ask, you know, like, what's the history of <laughs> the trucking trailer? It sounds like that hasn't, not much has changed in that area for a long time, but I'll let you speak to that. There have been some incremental in- increases in efficiency and safety, but these are all, you know, on the order of single digit percentages if they're lucky. So for example, you know, there are new bearings, high efficiency bearings coming into the market, and there are new aerodynamic treatments that are happening on the trailers that we've seen some deployed and some lack of deployed, even though they're installed on the trailers. You see a lot of these things out there, but they're all meant to make little incremental changes. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is we want to make a completely new platform that changes the way we think about these operations. Because I s- believe very strongly that there's not going to be this one killer solution. Right. Like, for example, if we were to turn a light switch on and everybody's power units were replaced from diesel to electric, imagine the chaos that would ensue. <laughs> right. Imagine if one of the operators forgets to charge one of these diesel tractors and now they can't get their goods to the customers the next day. And so what we want to do is we want to build another very powerful tool in the tool chain that exists. We want to insert it in the least disruptive way possible and then morph and grow this tool to be very specifically pointed to our decarbonized future, whether that's hydrogen, electric, or whatever magical fuel we can come up with. We will be there behind those power units no matter what. Right on. And let's talk a little bit about the technology because, as you alluded to, I'm sure it was no easy feat to develop. Like, how do you actually get meaningful additional power and traction out of a trailer? So, the concept of a trailer that kind of does its own work, it's kind of self propelled trailer is not new. It's been around for a while. And in fact, you know, it's been used in very specific applications and in very small niches of military and and industry, but nothing has been kind of made available to the masses. And the problem, part of the reason is we need to be able to have very high confidence in the either the torque signal or the input to then add a resultant torque output from the motors. So what I'm saying is that, that I guess up until recently, it's been very difficult with the hardware that's available off the shelf to be able to sense what the truck is doing, make a judgment call, and then apply that judgment call to a torque command in the trailer and then make sure that everything is safe and we have multiple layers of redundancy and make sure that the signal integrity from that request is also good. So how do we do that? And up until recently, you would have had to have tapped into the data pipeline. And there are other powered trailer companies out there that are discussing their application being focused on, you know, we leverage a data connection or a CAN connection off of the OBD bus or off of some other diagnostic bus Mm -hmm. or even a low-level signal from the tractor 
to give a command to the trailer. Well, one of the problems with that is that if I want to service a Freightliner and then I want to service a Tesla Semi, those signals may be different. And in fact, every one of those OEMs filters those signals. So now the integrity of those signals are not great. Mm. And so the big kind of hypothesis that we came up with was how can we control this trailer with no data input from anything? And we're using just very basic first order physics. And we're looking at how hard the trailer is pushing. And in real time, we respond with torque in kind in the trailer. And what the net result there is, is that a trailer that kind of feels like it's disappeared by <laughs> Ghost trailer. It's a ghost trailer. So let's say, for example, I've driven more miles than I can even imagine with a truck and a trailer <laughs> of many different sizes. And I know the feeling of an empty trailer, a full trailer, and no trailer. And I can tell you that if I had that kind of in between a no trailer and an empty trailer feeling all the time where you know there's a trailer there, but it never, ever for even a moment feels like it's controlling you. Mm -hmm. That's like the ideal scenario. Yeah. And so we've actually wrapped all of our controls around that specific behavior. How can we make the driver feel confident that the trailer is still there doing what it's supposed to be doing, but the driver always feels 100% in control of that trailer? And that's the end uh, result of the user experience that we want to bring to the driver, yeah. which is very important. And we're looking from the driver and the operator and the yard manager and the union representative, all of that group of folks, we're looking to them to say, what is the best way for us to develop this product for you? I like that approach. And yeah, it's interesting to note that, you know, I wouldn't have, I mean, if I'd really thought about it, I might've come to the conclusion that like, it's not like you don't want to be able to feel the trailer at all. You know, you definitely still want to be able to understand that it's there behind you as a driver. And I'm interested to hear more about this perspective of kind of working with drivers, working with union representatives. What are some of the questions that you get from folks like that when you start to go out and talk about what you've built? Or is it more of like a, the proof is in the pudding, just go out and drive it and you'll see type of conversation? We're getting so many different mixed responses. And even from the folks that are pretty skeptical about a lot of this new technology, we're hearing terms, for example, like tech headache and tech hangover. These are like independent terms that these folks are coming to us and saying, hey, we don't want tech hangover and we don't want all of this. You know, And so what we've done is, you know, we look at different folks in this value chain different, a little bit differently. Ultimately, they're all customers and their opinions, their thoughts, all of this stuff is very important to us and their perception is very important to us. But for example, the way that I interact with a driver will be different than the way that I interact with a union representative, for example, right? Because the driver has very localized needs. They want to remove anxiety while they're going up a big hill from a stoplight, all of these different things. The union representative will want something different. And I'm not saying that we're building a system that makes everybody happy. Mm. But at the same time, we're paying attention to these things. Like, for example, as we develop this product, we're the ones that are specifying what size bolts are on there and what size fastener, you know, nuts and washers and all of this stuff. So it would be foolish for us to just impart a whole new fastening philosophy into this world without at least understanding what tools do these guys already have in their toolbox? If they already have a bunch of inch tools, why would I build a metric stack, for example? <laughs> I don't want to create an entirely new, and this is what they mean by tech headache or tech hangover. It's that like anytime some new technology gets involved, what people don't pay attention to is that every one of those technicians then has to go back to their snap-on dealer and buy a bunch of new tools and go into debt again. And then the yard operator has to buy all of these new diagnostic tools that are very expensive and figure out how to deal with downtime. 
what we're doing is we're presenting a complete solution that's meant to slot into these operations. And that's what we're learning from these yard operators and the folks on the ground is how can we bring this to you in the least painful way possible? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, in service of wanting it to work with every in every possible or in, in as many scenarios as possible. So, I mean, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, there's lots of people manu- trying to manufacture electric trucks, but certainly a long ways from there being deep market penetration, especially on like the bigger side. You know, it's cool that they already work with a diesel power truck, for instance, like talk about, you know, targeting. That's the whole point. Yeah. Is it is that like, one, you know, one of the um, yard managers told me, he's like, you know, one of the things we're afraid of is forgetting to charge one of these power units overnight or if the charger fails overnight. Right. The nice thing is with our trailers that even if you leave with a completely depleted battery pack, because we're turning regen back into the battery pack through the trailer now, right. you can actually increase your fuel efficiency by 10% or more, even by leaving with a dead battery pack. Because within just a few miles, we've turned what used to be thermal energy from the brakes squeezing on the, the rear axles back into the battery pack. And so we're reclaiming that energy right off the bat. Right. So the benefits here even work if things aren't working. So that's one of the big things that a lot of these yard operators are excited about. And basic question, you know, is that the similar mechanism that cars that have been doing that for a while, like Priuses, also use to recharge their batteries? Exactly. So what we're doing is, let's say, so if you're leaving the yard with a completely depleted battery pack or a mostly depleted battery pack, you're basically driving away with a mild hybrid, like a Prius. Mm-hmm. If you leave the yard with a full battery pack and a diesel tractor, then it's like a plug-in hybrid. You get even more efficiency gains. Mm-hmm. And then that works, is if it's hydrogen, that even works into the future when we start getting electric power units in these yards. And that the electric power units, what this ends up doing is this allows you to add the trailer's range, which in this case is 200 miles, to the stated range, 150 or so miles, that these Freightliner and others like them are claiming. And so, you know, the whole goal here is to be additive to all of these new technologies that are being introduced and not compete with any of them where we can. Right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I mean, even when there are, you know, viable and successful electric trucks on the road, like it'll still be super useful to length and range, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we have some really fun features. Like, for example, if you're if the tractor and the trailer are loaded are parked at the loading dock, you can actually charge through kind of like how you would do a battery backpack for your phone. You can charge through the trailer into the tractor. And so now you can charge your entire stack using shore power off of the dock, for example. Mm. We're building all of this flexibility into the base architecture so that depend, you know, these operations look different all over the place. There are some things that are the same where there are people, tractors, and trailers moving goods. That's about the only thing that's the same. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is build this platform so that it can take advantage of all of these different opportunities. For example, the dwell time at the loading dock while things are loading and unloading. If we can charge in 45 minutes, then we don't even have to interrupt the operation. You just back the trailer up. It hooks up with an inductive charger or something like that, hands-free, and it's charging while you have the forklift going in and out, loading and unloading pallets. In terms of quantifying the opportunity, I think you mentioned kind of like 40% fuel efficiency potential gain earlier. Like if we're talking about, you know, the diesel trucks that we see on the road today, hauling stuff up and down the highway and one of your trailers, is that about the right ballpark? Like if everything's working to a T? Uh, If everything is working 
really well. It's actually closer to 45%. Nice. But we're not going to claim anything above 40% until we get a bunch of miles on the road. Hmm. But, uh, you know, the miles that we do have on the road, the thousands of miles that we do have on the road with our prototype trailers and with uh, all the physics models that we've put together are pointing to kind of a minimum average is around 40. And then depending on how we incorporate this into somebody's operation, how heavy it is and how much regen we're getting and all of this stuff, we may be able to bump that up a little bit more. A lot of different factors. There's another kind of interesting factor here is that now that the trailer is doing its own work, your power units can be less powerful and your brake service and your maintenance intervals go way up Mm. because now you're not loading, you're not pulling around a 40 or 50,000 pound trailer anymore. You're essentially pulling an empty trailer around. And so your brake intervals go way up, your bearing intervals go way up, all of this stuff. Got it. Is it fair to say, this might be an oversimplification, so correct me if I'm wrong, but earlier we arrived kind of around like 10% fuel efficiency savings just from recharging alone. So like if I take the 40% regen, regen, if I take the 40%, is it about, you know, 10 from regen and 30 from the power that's trailer generating? Very roughly like kind of hand wavy. (laughs) Yeah. But it it really depends on the load. It depends on the drive cycle, how many hills are on the drive cycle what the average speed is, like a bunch of different bits and pieces take into account. And I'm kind of throwing out big general numbers. When we engage with customers, we talk to them about very specific numbers. And in fact, we put their operation into our uh, series of models and so that they can see with full transparency how we absorb that information and how we output a thing like a trailer specification and also unit economics from this application. Right. Yeah. I mean, 40% still, that's extremely significant. I mean, sometimes I think about, you know, like, what would it take to get 40% EV truck penetration across the entire fleet? Because like, theoretically, that's what you would need if you weren't using the trailer at all. Like, that's what you would need to get a 40% reduction in diesel miles. Like if you're going the supply route, you're 20 years away from that. Exactly. Yeah. And the combination of the two will scale it much faster, hopefully. Exactly. That's the whole goal here is to kind of If you think about it kind of under engineering terms, we want to dramatically increase the area under the curve for the next 10 or 15 years. Because right now, still 98% of the trucking world is diesel. And so, and it's going to take a while for that migration to happen. And it's going to take a lot of work. Forget about the time. It's going to take a lot of work. It's not like building charging network for your Rivian or for the Teslas. These are big battery packs and they drive a lot of miles. And now we're talking about megawatt charging stations meant in some cases to charge 800 meg- kilowatt hour or megawatt hour battery pack sizes. Yeah, wow. And so these are big burdens. And we're not talking about a small neighborhood getting some electric vehicles like <laughs> Palo Alto. This is like the entire trucking industry. Right. And so we have to s- kind of tiptoe into that. And we believe that this is one of the best tools that, that at least we could come up with to help foster that electrification. No, that makes perfect sense. And talk to me about some of the folks where you're working with to actually get some highway miles under your belt. Like, where's that happening? What's the profile of person that's interested in testing this with you? Yeah, our first, unfortunately, I can't divulge any names <laughs> here, but uh, our first series of customers are uh, large fleet operators. These are anywhere between 10,000 or more trailers operated on a regular basis. So this is kind of what I would consider to be the top tier fleet operator, somebody like a Target or a Walmart or a Safeway uh, or an Amazon, something like that. Mm. So that's kind of our first customer, mainly because they have such predictable operations and they are looking to optimize on a regular basis. In addition to all of this, all of these clients that we're talking to have made or are making, they have climate initiatives within their company, right? 
And so we're looking at this intersection of folks that can definitely benefit from this technology, but also have a desire to leverage uh, decarbonization in their pipelines. And so those are the first customers we're approaching. We are getting lots of inquiries from you know small operators where they have maybe one tractor and a couple of trailers all the way up to the biggest of the big operations. And so we're focused on the ones where we can make the largest impact the quickest, and then we'll work on kind of expanding the footprint of the technology. I want to make sure that it's clear that this technology we have working on a, not only a kingpin style trailer, but a bumper pull as well. And so the bumper pull actually has the most miles on it because it's a smaller truck and trailer combination. And, you know, that's demonstrating all of the same efficiency numbers. And we can see a future where now we're impacting all of the bumper pull applications like for Rivians and F-150 Lightnings as well, whether they're um, commercial applications like landscaping trailers or private applications like RVs and things like that. Mm. So this technology is specifically architected to scale up and down across all of these different verticals. We're focused on this class eight world right now because we know we can get the most miles on the ground with this technology there and make the largest decarbonization impact. Yeah, no, that's a helpful disambiguation because I would have kind of assumed that most of the focus was on, you know, those big trucks and companies with a massive fleet of them. But it is cool to know that, you know, if someone's, I don't know, in the future, like got their U-Haul, like maybe that'll be. <laughs> we are in discussion with some bumper pull application folks. And I will say that once we've shipped class eight, the bumper pulls won't be very far behind. Mm, right on. And in terms of you're moving very quickly to try and create impact, what is kind of like the manufacturing of this look like? You're working with outside parties in case like to scale up the speed at which you can produce these guys or? Is that going to be in-house? Yes. There are a lot of really great manufacturers that make things like boxes and suspension and brakes and all of this stuff in this class eight world. There's no reason for us to attempt to reinvent something that Wabash or Packard or Great Dane are exceedingly good at. Uh And so ultimately what we want to do is we want to insert our technology into that current pipeline. And so we want to basically take the foundation brakes that exist, the E-axles that are coming onto the market and the standardized box. And our first prototype actually leverages all of the attachments of a standardized 53-foot dry van, also works the same on a drayage trailer and a bunch of other applications in that space. But the goal here is for us to uh, work with the existing supply chain, insert our technology, and then deliver a complete solution to our customers. Sometimes that supply chain may include refurbished or rebuilt trailers that the customer may already exist, own existingly. Got it. So if they have a yard of 10,000 trailers that need to be refurbished, maybe we can build that into our pipeline. But our first approach into market is to partner with these great brands and companies that exist and then bring our product into market as a complete solution and not just a set of parts or a random box. And something you said earlier about companies stood out to me because I was going to ask a similar question or folks that you're working with, you know, they have both, they have a variety of things that are kind of pushing them in this direction, right? Like there's an economic incentive if there's fuel savings involved. And then there's also sort of, you know, the tailwind of the climate initiatives or the net zero goals that they may have made. I was going to ask something kind of similar for your business. You know, I'm, there's a number of tailwinds that I imagine are all relevant. I think we're in the middle of pretty expensive year across almost all different types of fuel sources, diesel being one of them. So I'm sure that's a strong tailwind. And then I was also curious, you know, whether there are specific regulatory tailwinds in the US or elsewhere that are also kind of accelerating business for you too. 
Yeah. On the first side, one of the interesting pieces that we were enlightened by one of the kind of the finance leads in one of these big companies is the fact that we're reducing 40% of your diesel fuel spend. It's great for greenhouse gases. It's great for the money, all of this stuff. But most importantly, it removes 40% of ambiguity in their forecast, right? Because they have a very hard time predicting the cost of diesel and some folks are better than others. But if you can remove 40% of that burden or that ambiguity from your modeling stack, it makes a huge difference in what you can actually, the traction you can get on the ground to uh, increase your operational efficiency. Yeah, you're suddenly a lot less uh, sensitive to the price of diesel than you were previously. That's the first part of this. So that's how we see the cost of diesel affecting us. It's not about whether it goes down or up because it's going to go up and it's going to go a little bit down. It's three steps ahead, two steps back, and it's just constantly doing this. But if you step back, it's always moving on its way up. And so we know that the higher the cost of diesel, the better our value proposition is. But in addition to that, it's removing that 40% of ambiguity from their stack. The second question, the regulatory environment. So we have partners that are working right now in D.C. and Sacramento to make sure that as we enter this market and this space, there are two things that we want to pay attention to. Number one, obviously, all of the NHTSA and FMVSS requirements that that are there for us to put a Class 8 trailer on the ground. Fortunately, the homologation for a Class 8 trailer is relatively light in comparison to a power unit or a diesel tractor, which means that we can build a safe product, prove that it's safe and get it to market much quicker than we could have if we were building a power unit or a tractor. Gotcha. Yeah. Certainly not like trying to get a... Yeah, exactly. We're not taking that lightly though, because we understand even though it's a relatively unregulated space today, there may be regulations coming in the future. And so we're being very proactive of getting in front of the regulators, showing them what we're doing, most importantly, showing them why we think what we're doing is safe and how we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this team has cumulatively shipped eight battery packs across four major vehicle OEMs. And we've also done the same with the number of powertrains and vehicles on the road. Mm -hmm. So we've gone through a lot of the crash testing and brake homologation and all the FMBS and NHTSA work we've done on several vehicle programs. And we're trying to get in front of that now, because even though trailers are relatively unregulated, When we get to that point, we believe that there will be some new regulations that we will impart or we will induce because of the power that we're putting in the trailers. And we want to make sure that we're actually setting a very high bar for safety, functional safety, data security. All of these bits and pieces need to be very, very high because ultimately you have a 40,000 or 50,000 pound weapon (laughs) that can be used if somebody gets control of the torque command, for example. Right? True. And so we have to be very cautious about all of those things. So we're making sure to be as respectful about the current regulations and as mindful about future regulations as possible. And then there's a third element here, which are the incentives that are being kind of tossed around all over the place. And that goes along with these regulations where fortunately we're in California. And in the United States, California is kind of in the forefront of all of these regulations that are being driven. And so we believe that if we can align with the California initiatives, The rest of the trigger states, which we know there's about a dozen trigger states out there that will immediately follow California, and then the rest of the country generally follows those trigger states. Sometimes other countries, too. Actually, what's ending up happening is that we're seeing things trickle from the EU into California, from California into the trigger states, and then from the trigger states into the rest of the country. 
So we're being very mindful of the global state of this whole kind of trailer requirements, battery safety requirements, all of those bits and pieces, and making sure that no matter what we build here can actually be shipped globally and deployed globally. Got it. And, you know, more on the regulatory side, and maybe it doesn't have to be on the regulatory side too, but I'm curious, like, and maybe this has changed over, you know, even just the last 12 months because you started to prove out the technology and get miles under your belt. But like, what are the things that, keep you up at night or that you think are going to be the hardest when you look ahead to 2023? I think very candidly, the, you know, the supply chain is going to continue to be a challenge. Fortunately, the stuff that we're putting together, we're not inventing some new chemistry or some new kind of magical AI stack or something like that. So it's relatively kind of commoditized components that we're putting together in a novel way. We're layering our control stack and some hardware on top of it. And so the supply chain is something to be concerned about, not because of the lack of hardware in the supply chain, but because this space is very crowded right now. Mm. There are, everybody's asking for e-axles, everybody's asking for battery modules, everybody's asking for different hardware components. And so I think if there's any risk for our commercialization, it's gaining access to the hardware stack that we need to get this off the ground. Got it. I'm not nervous about it, but it's something that I think about. Ultimately, I have good confidence that we're going to put a very safe, robust, and high-quality product into our customers' hands. I want to make sure that it meets all of these efficiency requirements and decarbonization requirements and kind of desires that I personally have. And I'm constantly working to understand the ecosystem, kind of soup to nuts from front to back anywhere I can so that I can make sure that we take as much advantage of this platform in this industry as possible. And so... Realistically, it's just about how are we going to make sure to make the most benefit out of what we've developed here. And kind of looking at the timeline, like, you know, fast forward, we're recording this at the end of 22, fast forward to the end of 2023. If we were to talk again then and look at a few key metrics, like what does success look like for you? 12 months. So our current goal is that by the end of 2023, we have a small handful of trailers in a structured pilot in customers' hands. And we have kind of an internal goal here of generating a relatively large number of miles in customers' hands as our kind of like OKR milestone. But the end goal here is that the foundational engineering on our serial production piece is well underway and we're in the early stages of validation. And then we have a series of robust form and factor prototypes in customers' hands, whether it's one customer or a small series of customers collecting data so that as we deploy the service that goes with the trailers, we're deploying it in the most efficient and intelligent way possible. Got it. Yeah. That's next year this time. And let's we can book it now if you want. <laughs> Perfect. And I won't make you zoom out to like 2028 or something like that. Yeah, we can take it one year at a time. Unless you want to, of course. I'm happy to talk. I think ultimately the future of what we're building is my long-term goal is to be a value-added partner with the existing supply chain that exists. So what that means, I guess, is that we want to be part of this ecosystem, just as you see a Great Dane trailer driving down the road, or if you see a pack car engine inside of a freight liner or something like this. These are all very important, very high reliability components, and we want to be kind of part of that suite of hardware. And ultimately, that plus the service that we're going to bring to our customers is going to be one of those bits and pieces that that we think will be you know, there'll be a big mix of our trailers and passive trailers and reefer trailers on these. And my ultimate goal is not to replace every one of these trailers with our trailers. It's to replace the right number of trailers with our trailers. Got it. Yeah, I like that kind of holistic perspective. I think 
sometimes, and it's not a wrong impulse, but there's almost like an over indexing on like how many diesel miles or like tons of CO2 did you mitigate, which is super important. Like that's part of why we're having this conversation. We have those goals as well. Right. We have a lot of those milestones and goals, but they're embedded in the functional milestones that we have. And, you know, we're building a whole kind of campaign around specifically what we're talking about now. And so I don't want to divulge too many of the details quite yet, Mm. but we are going to be at some point making claims of how many tons of CO2 do we want to remove from the uh, pipeline this year, next year, going forward, all of that stuff. So we have these high level goals that have been set internally and we're not quite ready to share them outside yet, but they will be out there and hopefully very aggressive. Great. Yeah. Well, that's another upshot is it's pretty, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to model the impact of certain technologies. But in this case, like, you know how many miles are being driven, you have a good read on efficiency, you know what combusting diesel, what type of emissions that produces. Exactly. And we want to get some real miles, like multiple zeros behind our mile numbers so that if somebody says, are you sure? Prove it to me. Then I can present the data in real time, not like go back and say, let me put this together <laughs> because our customers are very pragmatic sure, and they just want honesty. And they want transparency and we want to deliver that to them from the first moment we meet them. Mm-hmm. So if they say, what data are you using to come up with these numbers? We can present it to them immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm sure, you know, in many cases they're going to want to go back and present it to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Every partner that we want to partner with is going to want that data. Yeah, for sure. Kind of one of my fun oddball zooming out questions, but I like, I'm definitely interested to hear your answer because you've already done something that's a tiny bit off the beaten path, as we said earlier, compared to like trying to build an electric engine or devise a new fuel source. But if you weren't working on this, like what else would you be working on? Where do you want someone to go find something that's like similarly innovative and super necessary? I think... There's a lot of attention being being put here, which is on the, it's the charging and, and operational. And so it's not only just the charging, but it's also how do we, you know, deal with batteries that may only have 80% capacity left. We shouldn't just recycle them. We should use them for something else. Like that whole kind of what comes in between our product being used on the roads and then being completely recycled at a place like Redwood Materials. So like what's that in between and how can we make the most use because I, I think there's a world for upcycling here. Yeah. Where kind of like the used car market, but a lot of these hardware components that are still not ready to die are ending up in junkyards and then getting recycled for their scrap components. Mm. Well, why can't we use reuse some of these motors? So there's a whole like other world of upcycling and decarbonizing that way. Like we're already building it. Yeah. Let's not just throw it in the garbage when we're done with it. What else can we do before we actually take it down to its elements? There's a world. There. Yeah. I mean, at the bare minimum, it should be a serviceable energy storage solution and some other applications. So something for... That's right. And this is an idea, another one of the ideas that, you know, JB and I were thinking about back in 2008 was like, what happens when these battery packs reach 70% capacity or 60% capacity? It's not worth throwing them away. We should convert them to stationary storage. And so those thought, that thought is out there. The junkyard batteries, believe me, are out there. I know firsthand, I see them all. And for them to be stacked up outside sitting in junkyards is kind of a waste. They could be being used for a lot of really interesting things. For sure. Yeah. Well, for anyone listening in that is waiting to incubate their business, that you've got an idea to do a little bit of research on. <laughs> Anything that we haven't hit that you would want to make sure stands out? You know, I worked for four and a half years very closely with Elon and the Tesla team. One of the things that's interesting about that whole stack is that When Elon develops something or introduces something to the world, everybody looks at that and kind of gets tunnel vision. 
Mm. And I think to a certain extent, the entire industry is looking at electrified tractors because Tesla proposed electrified tractors several years back. And what ended up happening was that a blind spot was created around the trailers. And I'm not the first person to think of electrified trailers. This thought has been out there for a while, but nobody's really put any real effort or horsepower behind it because everybody's been so focused on the power units. And so what you see is me hearing a lot of surprise or seeing a lot of surprised faces when I go and talk to some of these suppliers that are, you know, some of the large axle suppliers or the large component suppliers were like, holy crap, we didn't even think about trailers. <laughs> I guess that's me. that makes me feel less bad for not thinking about it myself. <laughs> no, a lot of people, their first response is, oh, that's cool. You're putting a battery pack in a trailer. And I'm saying, no, 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 we're actually driving the trailer. The trailer is driving itself and it's looking at the kingpin for intelligence. That's it. Very simple. And then it's like that second order, like, oh, I never thought about that before. Why hasn't anybody thought about <laughs> this before? And really, I think it's just this combination of we're here now in the hardware space where I have accessible the hardware set that allows me to have that level of control, safety, torque security, signal integrity, and so on. But then also we're now... The world is seeing how painful decarbonizing trucking is. It's very hard. And no matter how hard we push, we're still getting incremental steps along the way, which is great because those incremental steps end up turning into large movements. But anything that I could do personally with my background and all these years in electrification, anything that I can do to help accelerate the dirtiest industry on the road is, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say the dirtiest industry, but the industry that that's putting out a lot of emissions right now. And it's what's interesting. Everybody I've talked to is like, we want to burn less fuel. We want to be cleaner. Every there's so I have actually never met a more passionate group all the way from the ground level, all the way up, excited about decarbonizing. But their hands are kind of tied. They're like, give us good tools and we will use them all. But if you give us crappy tools, we're <laughs> going to leave them in the toolbox and use what we've always used. Awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Where should folks keep up with you and Range Energy for updates? What's the best way to, to stay informed? Yeah, so our website is up and running, range.energy, and that's it, no.com. It's just range.energy. And then it's also we also have rangeenergy.com if your browser has a problem with that. Awesome. All right. Well, whether it's in 2023 or 2024, I look forward to driving up I-5 in California at some point and being like, oh, hey, I see one of them on the road out there. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll make sure that you're at the launch event. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting edge climate tech, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon.